call them refugees because we started this refuge school ministry a few years ago because there is a famine in the land for the trueness of prayer, God's word. Now, now, please hear me. I, I've spoken at Bible colleges all over this nation, and, and this is not a knock on Bible colleges. But there is something that is so key and instrumental to a person that has a call of God on their life, and they spend time with God, and they dedicate years of their lives to spending time ga- uh, gaining understanding and wisdom and tuning in their spiritual ears to His His voice. And so these students, what we've done is we've started this school ministry. It's, it's for students that are called to uh, into full-time ministry of, of some shape or form, and then they dedicate two years of their life, and they travel all over the, the, the land with me, and they, they're a part of ministry. They're part of life. They're a part of my family. And so, refugees, if you just stand up real quick. Get to know these students. These are world changers. You will hear stories about them that some of them should be dead. Some of them should be should not be in, in church. That's the furthest place they should be. Some of them shouldn't be here. All of us should not be here. But thank God that he didn't, he didn't listen to the enemy's request. Thank God that these men, these men and women are turning the world upside down. They're defying odds. They've laid down scholarships. They've laid down jobs. They've walked away from family in order to chase and pursue not just the call of God. I tell these students on a regular basis, don't run after the call, run after Jesus and the call will happen. Don't run after, don't run after ministry, run after Jesus and ministry will happen. And so these students uh, travel with me all over and they're, we've got one from Indiana, Miss Lindsay is from Richmond, Indiana, but the rest of them are from all across this nation. So would you just welcome them with me? You may be seated, refugees. They're world changers. And, and uh, my personal assistant, Haley, she's the one who drives them. She drove for, what, 18 hours last not yesterday. And she just drove back from Georgia. The, a team was with me in Georgia last week, got in a vehicle on Thursday, drove to Georgia, and got back in a van and drove back on Sunday. And so she's a driving machine. She's a trucker. And so... Uh, Turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7. Let me tell you something that's really exciting, okay? I know you guys have been doing your homework, okay? You've been reading the book of Matthew. That's awesome. That's, I don't want to negate anything that, that that is doing inside of you because hiding the Word of God and reading the Word of God is a great and mighty thing. Let me tell you, one of the things that they're doing which excites me is, is the refugees have been handwriting Matthew. Within the next 20, within the next 12 months, they will have handwritten the entire Bible. And it's not that they're, they're giving their translation. Like, we're not having the, the, the new Lindsay translation. That's not gonna happen. But what they're doing is, is someday when in ministry, they look back and they say, what's the greatest accomplishment in your ministry? What's your, what's your greatest trophy? They can look back to a handwritten copy of the Word of God and say the Word of God is what my life is about. The Word of God is why I do what I do. The Word of God is the greatest thing that I've ever read. It's the greatest thing I've ever written. It's the greatest thing I've ever spoken. And so when we get into the reading of God's Word, please hear me, it's powerful. It's not some minor thing. It's not some, some thing. Listen, what's so crazy about the reading of God's Word is it, it, it's truthfully the only way that you're going to spiritually be able to nourish yourself. Did not Jesus say, man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that precedes the mouth of God. Let me, let me show you something real quick, and we're going to get right into this message. 
Do you know the average American eats two meals a day? Average American eats two meals a day. Do you know that the average American Christian does not read the Bible in an entire year? Now, let me show you a little bit of math. If you were to read the entire Bible just sitting down, it would take between 88 and 92 hours to read from Genesis all the way through Revelations. It's, it's not that hard of a read, but you'll run into books like Leviticus, you'll run into books like Deuteronomy, the books of Chronicles, and it trips you up and you're like, oh God. You feel like you're in a barren place. You're trying to read through, you're learning the law, you're learning all these things, and you're like, God, how is this important to me now? And we get discouraged by reading those books. But at the same time, watch this. If you were to divide 88 to 92 hours of Bible reading into an every day for one year, it means that you've read at least about between 11 and 15 minutes a day. If you were to read the Bible in one year, it would only take between 11 and 15 minutes a day. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus said, man shall not live but by bread al- or on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right? So in order to nourish ourselves, it's through the word of God. Now please hear me. I love preaching. I listen to seven sermons a week to feed myself and to be sharpened and to learn and to grow and to continue to be discipled. But can I tell you, that's not just nourishment. That's almost like the sweets. You've got to have something that is the, the word of God is being broken down, that God's speaking to you on your own private prayer time. Can I tell you, listen, if this is the only time that you pray, that, that you're not going to be a very strong Christian. If this is the only time you're in the word of God is when somebody's preaching it to you, you're not going to be a very strong Christian. Now, now let me explain something. If the average American eats two meals a day, What would your meal look like if you were to spend between 11 and 16 minutes divided by two? What would that meal look like? How nourished would you be physically if you spent between five and eight minutes a day finding your food, preparing your food, and inhaling your food? How strong, how nourished would you be? Now, this is not a knock on the American church, but let me explain something. I believe the reason that you have these, these, these other, these other uh, religions that are so strong is because they, they live by that word. They live by that Quran. They live by it. They know it. They meditate on it day and night. But we have the truth. But yet we will struggle with just getting a chapter in. To spend 15 minutes is, is, is hard. But let me explain something. The more you spend in God's word, the stronger you'll get in your walk. And your walk will not be filled with malnutrition and dehydration because you are there. You're, you're at the well. You're, you're sitting there being supplicated with God's word and it's giving you a download from heaven for what you need for the day. I, I commend you in reading a chapter a day. My prayer is that it continues and it continues to grow, that it's not just a one-month thing, that it's not just leading up to this weekend, but it is something that will carry. It is a habit, a life-formed habit that will carry you for the rest of your life. The Word of God is truly a Christian's resource. It's not just something that we carry around. It's not something that, that like, a, like to an electrician, is a code book. It's very, it's the very nature of who we are supposed to be. 
And if we don't read it and we don't know it, then how are we to be who God's called us to be? Amen. I know that this is, this is, uh, uh, call, we're calling it push, praying till something happens, prayer, prayer, uh, time. But listen, I want to talk to you this morning on one of the greatest reasons why we pray. Do you know that we pray in order to know God? Pastor was talking up a couple times here is to know God. But see, you need to understand true evangelism and true outreach comes out of lives that know God. The greatest, the greatest display, the greatest advertisement to the world is a changed life. You know why churches, now please hear me, I'm in churches all the time, but do you know why churches have to do outreaches? Because people refuse to live at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now let me explain that. When you have, when you're in your word and you're in prayer, guess what? You get a passion for God's heart and you, and you begin to know God's heart. But as you begin to draw near to God's heart, you also begin to embrace God's mission. And God's mission is that none should perish, that all shall be saved. And all of a sudden we begin to awaken, God begins to awaken a burden inside of us to reach people at our workplaces, in the school, in, in the airplanes. Yesterday, I looked over at a, at a lady that was flying next to me and I said can I ask you a question and she said yeah and I said it's going to be a strange question she goes would it be anything else (laughs) and I said if I could ask you if you had one prayer that you're guaranteed that God would answer what would you pray and she looked at me and she says peace on the earth I said that's great I said, but can, how can we have peace on the earth when you can't even have peace inside of you? And she looked at me. She goes, I'm a gospel, an international gospel recording artist. And I got the opportunity to minister to a woman that should be ministering to other people. But something inside of her was at odds with God. And she started telling me about how that her sister had died of leukemia. And she was still really hurt. What's so amazing about God is, is that God wants to work in you, but he also wants to work through you. And God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for available, willing people. Let's get into this, the word. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This, I want to preach a message to you called knowing God. Because we must know the one in whom we are praying to. We've got to know his heart. We've got to know his personality. We've got to know his character. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Everybody say that. Say, know them by their fruits. It says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so... Every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will, be, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does thy will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, 
Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful uh, wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 or 46 sums up what that verse, those verses were describing. Why would Jesus tell people that we're doing his work? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Watch this. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 says, But why do you call, or why do you, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Father, I ask that in the next few moments that you would lend unto me your voice. God, I don't want them to hear my opinion. I don't want them to hear just my thoughts. I want them to hear your word and I want them to hear your heartbeat towards them. That God, you're not angry at them, but God, this is a time that you're wooing, a season of wooing, that your spirit is calling them to step closer than ever before. Not every church in America has been doing their homework. Not every church in America has been reading your word. Not every church has been desiring to encounter you. But Lord, I believe that this church is, and this church has. And because of this, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us this week, starting today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lords? You know what's so crazy is, is, is we, 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 we know how to call on God. We know that when things are going bad, we can call on God and God will be there in a blink of an eye, in a twinkling of an eye, that it says, call on me and I shall hear you and I will listen to you. But you don't, what we don't read is that he desires a whole heart. Throughout the book of Psalms 119, David is crying out. Now, please hear me for a second. David is sitting there and he's saying, I have, I meditate on your word day and night. I meditate on your law day and night. I'm like a tree that's planted by streams of living water. Then it goes on into Psalms 119. And he says, listen, he says, how does a young man keep his ways pure? He's almost a little bit schizophrenic in this because he, he asks a question and then he answers himself. Throughout the book of Psalms, if you don't think David had some emotional problems, he's like, oh, everybody's forsaking me, but I will bless the Lord on my soul. He says, how can a young man keep his ways pure? And then he goes on. He says, by living according to your word. He goes on in Psalms 119 verse 11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Do you know what word he's talking about? He's not talking about the Psalms. He's not talking about the Proverbs. He's not talking about Matthew. He's not talking about any of that. You know what he's talking about? The law. The very books we try to skip over. Deuteronomy, maybe next week. He's memorized the law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's memorized it. It's in his heart. Did he still make mistakes? Absolutely, yes. But the word drove his life. And we will sit there and we know how to cry out to God because we'll hear about it. And, and we hear that the, the, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them from all of their, uh, 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 their trouble. And we know how to cry out to God as if his name is a password. 
How many of you have a password when you go online or something, you click in that password and it lets you into a place where not everywhere anyone can go. And, and we treat God's name like that. But can I tell you, there's going to come a day where we're going to click in that password and it's going to say access denied because we did not know him. It's not just about knowing about him. Anybody can know about him. There are people that are to this day, my dad, who, who is a great Catholic, uh, 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 he, he, let me say it this way. He's committed to the Catholic ways, not just to the Catholic thoughts. He don't go to church, but he'll drive by a Catholic church and still do the sign of the cross and kiss his thumb. He still has respect. He, he, when he does go to church, he still nails down. He knows the motions, but he doesn't live the lifestyle of it. Can I tell you, there are a lot of people that are going to click in someday and say, wait a second, Lord, Lord, didn't I attend church every week? Lord, Lord, didn't I give my tithe? Lord, Lord, wasn't I teaching Sunday school? Lord, Lord, and God's going to say, but I never knew you. This was not about routine. This was not about ritual. This was not about tradition. This was about relationship. I came to establish and build a relationship with you. And I want you to know me more than just Lord. I want you to know me as Savior. I want you to know me as friend. I want you to know me as provider. I want you to know me as Father. Dads, how how intimate would your relationship be with your kids if they walked in and said, Lord, I've cleaned my room. And they knew you as sir, but they didn't know you as daddy. God wants us to know him as father. He wants us to have intimate relationship, and that's what it's all about. And, and see, that's in order to really have a successful prayer life, we first have to understand the one whom we're praying to and know him. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with someone you really didn't know? How well does that conversation go? Some, t- some people will just appease you. Some people will just let you talk. Some people will just ignore you. When we get down on our knees, can I tell you that God wants us to know him and he wants to know us. But God, but Pastor Jamie, doesn't the Bible say that he knows even the hairs on our head? Yeah, for some of us, it's a little fewer. He knows the hair. But can I tell you, there's difference between knowing about a person and knowing them intimately. I was in the airport, and this is, this is what I, I love about God, is God is a very personal God. I was in, in the airport, and how many of you have ever had something happen in your life that you didn't agree with? God didn't ask your permission to do it, right? And we get upset. Well, I was in Kelso, Washington, preaching at a church, and God showed up on Sunday morning. I mean, he showed up. People were getting rocked. People were getting healed. People were getting touched. People were getting filled. People were getting called into ministry. I mean, it was awesome. And all of a sudden, the pastor says, Jamie, you've got to get on the plane. You've got another service tonight in Colorado. You've got to go. You're going to miss your plane. And I said, ah, just a couple more minutes. And I kept postponing it, postponing it. And he finally came up to me. He says, Jamie, there's no way you're going to make your plane now. And so I jumped into his truck. We drove all the way to Portland. I got into that airport. I walked inside. I was 15 minutes before the flight was taken off. I knew the law. I knew FAA will not let my baggage go through, but maybe I could just leave my baggage here. They're going to break the rules for me. 
And so I walked in there, and Paul was standing there, and he looked at me, and he says, he says, uh, what flight are you on? I said, the one from Portland to Denver. And he says, I'm sorry, sir, there's no way you're going to make that flight. He said, we can't even accept you to get checked in. And I said, well, why not? And he says, because 45 minutes is the cutoff. And I said, I'll leave my baggage here. He says, I don't care. You're still not getting on this plane. And my flesh began to resurrect. <laughs> Y'all know what that's like. Have you ever, we don't see the dead being raised. But we raise all the time. See, the old man is dead and gone. Every once in a while, we'll have a resurrection of our flesh. And I felt my old self starting to creep back. And I started getting a little bit shorter with my words, a little bit more sarcastic. And all of a sudden, I looked at him. And he's just looking at me. He's like, I don't care. You're not getting on this plane. And I'm starting to get upset. And this little old lady walks up to me. And she grabs hold of me. And she goes, that is a beautiful shirt. And I just looked at her and I was like, okay, thank you. And she goes, that looks like a church going shirt. Don't you hate when your Christian camouflage falls off? All of a sudden I'm about to resurrect. And then all of a sudden now I got to bury the dead. I've got to put the dry bone or the dead bones into this thing and just make my Jesus face and smile and start talking churchy and be like, oh, bless God it is. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, it is a church going shirt. I says, I'm a preacher and God just broke out and that's why I'm late. And I'm only got one day, one day with my family. I got to preach tonight, but. Ugh. And she looks at me. She goes, I am so hungry for the word of God. And I looked at her. I said, ma'am, I've got seven hours. Let me pray for you. She looked at me and she goes, you can't pray for me. She said, I'll lose my job. She worked for Alaska Airlines, the very airlines I was trying to get on. And she says, she says, you can't pray for me because I'll lose my job. And I said, well, ma'am, just tell me what to pray and I'll go over there and I'll pray for you. And you could feel God all over. And all of a sudden she looked at me and she goes, but Alaska Airlines has a policy that if a customer is talking to us, we can't interrupt them. We can't walk away and we can't stop them. She said, sir, what did you preach today? I'm like, man, that should be a rule for churches. They can't interrupt us. They can't walk away. That's a captive audience. I got seven hours and she just said she can't leave. I looked at her and I, the scripture that came to my mind, flipped there with me quickly, is Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23. I'm standing in this airport with this woman that says she is hungry for the word of God. Not necessarily is she hungry for a sermon. Not necessarily is she hungry for a, for a service. See, she explained to me that she wasn't able to be at church because of her job. But she didn't lose the hunger. And all of a sudden I looked at her and this scripture popped to my mind. And it says this in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. 
I started preaching in the middle of the airport and I started looking at these people and I said, do you know what it's like to know the peace of God? Do you know what it's like to wake up and know that you're not bound by shame and guilt and fear and sin? Do you know what it's like to be free? Do you know what it's like to walk outside and realize that the sky is blue and the birds are singing and the grass is green because all of the weight of the world has fallen off of you? Do you know what it's like to know God's love? Do you know what it's like to know God's grace? Do you know... God and pretty soon there were about 25 people surrounding me and about five people had slid down standing in front of the desk that worked for Alaska Airlines and I said I may not be able to pray for you all individually but I can pray for you all at once and I started praying and this little lady fell down to her knees and just started weeping and trembling I said amen I gave her I helped her up gave her a hug and all of a sudden Paul looks at me the guy that I was about to resurrect on And he says, are you, are you serious? Are you for real? And I looked at him and now realizing, I know I didn't blow it in front of him. I was just getting a little bit upset, blaming him for what he wouldn't let me do because I wanted my way. I looked at him. I said, Paul, listen, I apologize that I'm upset. I only had one day at home. I got to get back on a plane tomorrow. And I knew the rules. I'm the one that made the mistakes. I said, it's not your fault. I am sorry that I started getting short with you. And he says, no, 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 no. I understand that. He says, but are you for real? Because if what you're saying and what I'm feeling is real, I have to rethink what, what my, my train of thought. I have to rethink what my stance is. He says, because I'm an atheist. He says, but I can't deny what I'm feeling right now. He says, do you really think God wants me to know him after I've told people for years that it's make-believe and it's a figment of their imagination? Do you really think that God wants no, to know me and he wants me to know him? And I said, absolutely, Paul. God wants you to know him and he wants to know you. And he says, well, what do I have to to do. I've got a break coming up in about 15 minutes. Tell me what I need to do in order to know God. I said, listen, Paul, if you don't do it now, 15 minutes is going to come to pass. And this, this time, this appointment of time is going to be gone. I says, if you either do it now or you're going to lose it. His supervisor said, Paul, go ahead and go in the back and do what you need to do. She walked me around that desk. I went in an office and Paul got on his knees and he gave his life to Jesus and he wept. And I saw a genuine, not conversion, I watched a genuine transformation. I watched a man that was walking around confused. I watched a man whose eyes were blinded and waxed over and heart was waxed cold. I watched a man come and introduce himself to Jesus. I I know that I missed it, but as I was sitting there in that airport that day, I realized that sometimes if I would just get off my own agenda and I would just get off my own way of doing things, that God had to postpone that service because he saw a man man by the name of Paul and he he knew he wasn't going to church so he had to bring church to Paul and he realized that Paul's one chance that it was at that moment no matter what he was going through that there was going to be this season of time where his heart would be made open and he had to have somebody there and I realized it's not about me that I don't know all things two years ago or a year and a half ago we were in Oregon And I told that story and these two little girls came up to me and said, what does Paul look like? So, well, uh, I said, I see him all the time, but girls pay attention to that stuff. Guys are like, he's a dude, he's ugly. I don't know. I don't know. And all of a sudden she goes, well, is he thinned hair? Yeah. Does he have glasses? Yeah. Is he a little bit taller than you? Yeah. 
He works for Alaska Airlines Steel. Yeah, that's our coach. He's our volleyball coach. And I said, really? And he paid for both of us to be here because he said that if we could just get to Jesus, he could change our lives the way that he changed my life. And, and both of us gave our lives to Jesus last night. I said, how's Paul doing? She said, he's doing amazing. What if I didn't want to know God and know God's plan for my life at all times? In church, out of church, whether I felt like it or whether I didn't feel like it, it's about God and God ministering to all people. Isn't that what it says in Philippians chapter 3? It says that our word, the reason we're alive, Pastor Sam, is to know him. To know him. Not to work jobs, not to build families. We were created to know God. And out of us knowing God, guess what will happen? You'll make him known. How many married people do I have in here? You ever met somebody, you saw them at work or or you saw them at a restaurant or a gas station, grocery store, and you're with your, your spouse? Do you not introduce the person that's with you? Some of us men, how come you didn't introduce me? I don't know. How are you going to introduce when all you do is this? What do you look at him and go? Right? Men don't use many words. We use nods. And the reality is, is how rude would it be if you were walking with your spouse? Or how rude would it be if you're walking with someone and you're talking to them and you don't inter- introduce them? Because what does that say? I- I'm not that proud of you. But when you're proud of them, can I tell you, I introduce people to my family that don't even know my family. I talk about them all the time. You know why? Because I'm madly in love with my family. I'm madly in love with my children. I'm madly in love with my bride. Even after 17 years of marriage, I'm in love with her. And I will say, this is my bride and this is their names. And I talk about them all the time. Why? Because I want people to get to know them. It's the same way when you're in an airplane or in an airport. You just want to get to know people to get to know him. And you look for every opportunity for others to know him. Why? Because you know him. And you know what he did in your life. And you want to see him do it in everybody else's. See, listen to what John Wesley said. This is one of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard. Apply this to your life for a moment. Of what importance is your character to mankind? If you were buried just now, or if you have never lived, what loss would it be to the cause of God? If you were never born or if you were buried right now would it affect the cause of God because you weren't doing anything see the definition of no means this to perceive directly it means to have an understanding of to recognize the nature to recognize as something previously known to be acquainted or familiar with or I love this one to have an experience of has anybody in this room ever been in a wreck you ever been physically hurt or you've ever been physically sick and somebody come up to you and say, don't hurt. No, you weren't in a wreck. No, you're not sick. Whatever they say does not change what you feel and change what you've experienced. Correctly? The reality of it is, is the world is looking for something that people cannot talk you out of. That it does not change by the atmosphere and the environment that you're in or the people you're with. That your passion for Jesus is still staying true. 
Because you had this experience and because of this experience, it altered your life. But it wasn't just about praying at an altar, a sinner's prayer. Can I tell you, that's the beginning. The life is what follows. Jesus did not say, I have come so that you can pray a prayer. He said, I have come so that you can live a life and live it more abundantly. See, we call ourselves friends of God, but in order to be a friend of God, we must have deep relationship with God, not just stop in to see him when we're hurting or lonely or needy or betrayed or as a last resort, not just me with him when we need something. Parents, how many times have your kids come in? Daddies, how many times have your children walked in and said, Daddy, I love you so much. Daddy, you're so strong. Daddy, are you growing hair? (laughs) I'm like, what do you want? Daddy, you're so handsome. You've been working out? No. What do you want? Well, Daddy, there's this thing at the mall and I gotta have it. I wonder how many times our praise services are just like that. God, you're awesome. You're the great I am. Can I have? Can I have? Well, how come you haven't been saying those things all week long? How come you're only just saying them now? Well, because God, I only need something now. And I'll be back next week when I need something. Or I'll be back in next month when I need something. But that's not relationship. That's not, as kids, that's called being spoiled. That's called being rotten. And if we, we expect more from our kids, don't you think that if we are made in the image of God, that God expects more out of His kids? That it's more than just a one-week service. It's more than just cracking open your Bible and then putting it in your glove compartment or in your trunk or on the shelf until next week. It's about opening it up and saying, God, would you speak to me? Because I desire to know what you have to say. I want to know your voice. See, if we don't have deep relationship with God, then we are nothing more than companions of God and a companion will never experience the true heart of God. See, the only satisfaction that you'll find in life is in the pursuit of the knowledge of God. That's why our, our spirit man cries out, there's more to this. There's more than this. How many of you have ever walked into church? Good service, doesn't matter who's preaching, doesn't matter who's singing, it was a good service. And you feel God and all of a sudden you leave and you're still hungry. You ever been there? That's how I am when I go to Chinese food restaurants. I'm like, I ate a ton, but I'm hungry. You don't get that way walking out of Italian. I'm telling you, I grew up on Italian food. You leave full. You have spaghetti coming out your ears. Pasta sits. It's heavy, right? But when you come into church, sometimes you sit there and you go, man, I'm hungry. I just, I feel stirred up. I feel like there's, it it was just undone. You know what we'll do is we'll blame the preacher, we'll blame the house. The reality is God put something inside of you so that you go home and you still want some. See, that's why we pursue so many different things. We try to find something to satisfy this longing inside. We pursue relationships, jobs, recreation, money, and friends, anything that will feed, fill this emptiness inside. But see, companionship is surface deep while communion is internal. God does not just want to be your companion. The deep of God is calling out to the deep of us. Psalms 42, verse 7, deep calls unto deep. You know what I can, fa- I can safely say according to Scripture? God's not looking for a girlfriend. He's looking for a bride. He's not looking at dating us. 
He's committed to us. Are we committed to him as the bride of Christ? Now, I know that sounds weird to guys. It's like, ugh, I'm not a girl. But the reality is, is are we committed? Do you wear the ring of Christ? When I got engaged, pastor, you know what I did? I put a ring on Michelle's finger. And that was to commit to her saying, listen, I'm committed to you. But it was also to tell everyone else that she's taken. It was to tell everyone else, every guy that would look at her because they would see what I saw. They would see worth. They would see beauty. They would see something that they wanted. And they would say, wait a second. And when they saw that ring, it would help deter that. Do you wear the ring of God? That engagement. Or do we, as a church, wear it on Sundays and then we slip it off and put it in our pocket in case we find something better out there throughout the rest of the week? Are we engaged? Engaged to the cause and to the personality and the person of Christ? You know what he did? Listen, I'm an old romantic. When Jesus stepped foot on this earth, he bent his knee. He got down on his knee and he engaged to mankind that was sinful and wasn't worth it. And he says, I'll take you as you are. But you know what we've done is a lot of us, now please hear me, it doesn't matter about how long you've been a Christian. What matters is, 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 are your, is your relationship with God growing, becoming You know what I loved about my grandma and grandpa's relationship? They were married 46 years. They started looking like each other. You ever figure that? You're like, what in the world? You see them young and you're like, they're, they're, like my grandpa was like 6'2". My grandma was like 5'2". He was military. She was an Italian woman that liked to cook. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, wait a second. They looked alike. They acted alike. I don't know what it is, but you know what I found out is the more time we spend with God, we'll start looking like him. We'll start acting like him. We'll start speaking like him. And we're not built. uh, We're not built on altars in church. We're built in the secret of our prayer time. And how are we going to know how to pray if we don't know whom to pray to? And I mean knowing the nature, the consistency, the kindness, the the gentleness, the faithfulness, the generosity of who God is as as a person. See, God's looking and longing for someone to share his secrets with. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Ask me and I will tell tell you of some remarkable secrets about what I'm going to do here. He's got plans for for this city. He's got plans for your family. He's got plans for the surrounding counties. He's got plans. But how will we ever know the plans of God if we don't ever hear the voice of God? Let me ask you a question. Who do you share your secrets with? If I was to walk up to you and say, tell me the most intimate secret you have, tell it to me. And as I put my ear there, I put the microphone right next to it. So that everybody can hear. That's not a secret. Secrets are the very things inside of your heart. You don't shout secrets. You whisper them correctly. I'll never forget. I was praying one day and 
I had come home from Alaska and I was exhausted 13 days on the, on the road out in Alaska. And I'm, I'm out there just ministering. I came home. I caught a red-eye flight. I got home about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm laying there in my bed. And as I'm laying there, all of a sudden the Lord begins to speak to me. And I wanted to, I felt like praying. How many of you have ever felt like praying? Do you know that that's God initiating a conversation with you? Nobody feels like praying. We're not that godly, I promise you. But when we feel like praying, that's God starting a conversation with us. You know what most of us do? We send God to our spiritual voicemail. Hey, I'll get back to you when I can. God started stirring this, this feeling like praying. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there in my bed. And I said these words. I said, God, I want more. And he said, well, come get more. I said, but God, I'll pray longer tomorrow. I'll pray harder tomorrow. I'll wake up earlier tomorrow. But God, let me just get a little bit of sleep. And the feeling started to go away. And all of a sudden, my spirit man began to growl, that spiritual hunger. And I said, God, I've got to have more of you now. And all of a sudden, I got up and I went and laid in my son's room. He was in our room and I was just laying on the floor. And the Lord started speaking to me. He says, Jamie, how much do you want? 30 minutes? An hour? How about two hours? He says, because I'm not the one who dictates how much of me you receive. You do. If you want more, how much do you want? And all of a sudden, I started picturing and envisioning Elijah, when he stopped the rain and all of a sudden they saw the prophets of Baal slaughtered and the people, there was a revival, as you could say. People started crying out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And they turned their hearts to him. And Elijah takes off running. He's in a mountain. He's sitting there. He's crying out and he says, God, show me your glory. You know what's so crazy? Think about this for a moment. Do you know only two men had enough relationship and intimacy with God in order to say, God, show me your glory? Moses and Elijah, not even David, not Samuel, not, not any of these guys had enough because that glory was the most intimate, most, most exposing thing God could have. But we'll sing songs about him and his glory. Show us your glory in church. Glory is not shown in church. Glory is shown in privacy. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there and in the story, if you remember correctly, it says that there was a windstorm, there was a fire, and there was an earthquake. And God said, I'm not in the wind, I'm not in the earthquake, and I'm not in the fire. And all of a sudden, there was a still, small voice. And it says that his presence was in the small voice. I'm laying there on my face, and whether or not you believe me is not going to change my mind. I promise you that. I'm laying on my face, and it was as if God got on all fours, and he whispered in my ear. He called me by my real name. My, people, my friends call me Jamie, but my real name is James. And he said, James. And it was as audible as you can get. And that was all it was, was my name. I think that's where my hair stood up and fell out that day. <laughs> and I remember laying there, just frozen in fear, like, oh, God's in the room. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. And he says, do you know why I wasn't in the fire? Do you know why I wasn't in the wind? Do you know why I wasn't in the earthquake? He says, because all those things, you can experience a great distance away from you can see fire burning in the distance you can feel earthquake in the distance you can feel wind and not know where it's coming from or where it's going he said but a still small voice you have to be close enough to hear he says i'm wanting you closer if the voice of god is getting quieter let me explain something to you if the voice of god is getting quieter it's because you've stepped back if it's gotten louder it's because you've stepped closer God wants to share his secrets. 
He wants to share what he's got planned in these schools. He wants to share what he's got planned in these neighborhoods, in this city, because it, if, if God would have his way, that, that they would be turning that, that, that school upside down right now, and this church wouldn't be big enough. This would just be Bible study. See, God's looking for an Enoch to walk with again. See, Job 23, verse 3, it says, If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, If, all, if you seek me, you would find me. When you seek me with your, all your heart, I will be found next to you, declares the Lord. See, it's not that we don't know where to find him and we don't have enough time, but do we have enough time and energy to spend with him to get to know him? John 14, verse 9 says, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after you've been with me for such a long time? Senior saints, can I talk to you just for a moment? How long have you known God? Don't give up. I used to position myself as a young punk kid, teenager, 11 years old. I'd find some senior saints on a Sunday night and tuck it right in between them because they knew how to pray. And I was scared and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't grow up in church. And I would just sit there and they would start praying. And you could feel heaven. That's when we used to tarry in the altars and we didn't have music to try to promote it. People's prayers. Church, where's the groan gone? The groan of the saints that are going, God, pour out your spirit today. God, would you save the lost today? God, don't forget what he's done. See, there's three ways to get to know God. Number one, prayer. Number two, reading and studying God's word. And number three, being involved in active discipleship. See, the more you're involved in your relationship with God, the closer you draw near to him. See, the Christian life isn't a matter of creeds and convictions. It includes conduct and character. Beliefs must be backed up with behavior. God is not concerned with how much of the Bible you know as much as he is with what you do with what you know. See, we must not only learn the word, but we must also love it and ultimately love it enough to live it. See, a barrier to dedicating our lives to Jesus for many people is not a lack of commitment, but overcommitment to the wrong things. See, we've got to learn to make wise commitments. Jesus always asked for full-hearted, commit, total commitments. Christ's aim was to gather appreciative crowds. It was not a ga- to gather appreciative crowds, but to make disciples. He never adapted his message to majority preferences, but always plainly declared the high cost of discipleship. Jesus often pushed the crowds to either sell out or bail out. Jesus always asked for a complete, clear commitment. He was not reluctant at all to ask men and women to drop everything and follow him. It was interesting phenomenon that often the greater the commitment you request, the greater response you get. People are willing to commit to something that gives them meaning. They want to be committed to something that is real and consistent. Write these things down and I'm done. Greater commitment equals greater knowledge. The definition of pursue is to follow in order to overtake to proceed along, to engage, or to chase. The question I have for you as a church and as an individual, as an individual, is this. Are you running after God in such a way that you're going to catch Him? Are you running after God in such a way that you are going to catch Him? In order to, I believe, catch God, there's five quick things that you must do. Five quick steps 
in order to have success while in pursuit of the knowledge of God. Number one, we must pursue God purposely. I've never met a man that has pursued God on accident. What does that mean? We must make up our minds to know God. Scripture says this in Philippians 3, verses 7. It says, for whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It goes on and it says, not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead can I tell you your past will stop you from getting into his presence see after we pursue God purposely we must pursue God progressively what does it mean to pursue God progressively it means to pursue or to know God is progressive every second minute hour week day month year there's so much to learn An old preacher gave me a Bible when I radically gave my life back to Jesus. It was written, and it was an old King James, or it was a new King James Bible, and it was the large print, the kind you can get at Walmart for $9.96. And he wrote in there on the very front page, and he said, read five pages a day, and you'll never go back to your old lifestyle. And he wrote down a little quote, and he said, the closer you get to God, the further you realize you are away from him. Do I have any hunters in here? Any hunters? Well, in Colorado, we hunt things like elk and deer. And you have to go hunting for them. They're not just standing there just like, hey, come shoot me. So you'll climb mountains to go find these these animals, right? What's so crazy is the first time I'd ever killed an elk, I, I walked and walked and walked and I saw this great big herd and I shot one and I ended up getting this big bull. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. My truck's just right up the hill. And four of us drug that 750-pound animal. I didn't realize, after we had drugged for about three hours, I realized we were in Canada. I'm going to jail. I killed an animal in Canada. I'm supposed to be hunting in Colorado. I walked too far. <laughs> but I didn't realize how far I had walked away from my truck until I started trying to walk back to it. Some of us will not realize how far we've walked from God until we turn around and start walking back towards Him. But listen, don't get discouraged. Don't get downcast, saints. Listen, every step is a step closer. And God wants His children close to Him. So it's got to be progressive. See, the pursuit of God will never end. The more you know, the more you desire to know. Number three is we must pursue God personally. This is only through an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, this isn't about being a member. It's not about being a board member. It's not about attending a church. Only way you can draw closer to God personally is through a personal relationship. John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In one verse, he says, I'm the door. Why is it that we keep on trying to find a window to climb in? There's one way, not by good works, not by being a good person. It is only by the blood of Jesus. It is only as as he becomes the savior of our soul. 
See, no matter how close you are, or no matter how close you stand to Jesus, or how much you're around Him, or how much you know about Him, it doesn't count for knowing Him. God desires us to know Him, not just know about Him. See, knowing God is not a decoration that I wear. I didn't put my knowing God shirt on today and say, I know God. Knowing God is not a decoration that we wear. It's a declaration of complete and utter dependence that we declare. And when you know God, you don't have to tell people you know him. People look at you and say, wait a second, there's something different about you. See, when you begin to know God personally and pursue him personally, can I tell you that Jesus will begin to show you that he's not worried about what other people say that he, who other people say that he is, according to Matthew chapter 16. When he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Was he wanting to hear the hearsay? No. It says, when he looked at him and he says, Peter, but who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the master. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And he says, no one's told you this except for my father. See, when we personally know Jesus, we take on his character also. Can I tell you a really cool thing? And I'm, 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 I'm five minutes and I'm done. You know who first called people Christians? The world. It says that Paul and, and Silas and these men were walking around and they were going from all these cities to cities to cities and they were proclaiming Jesus. They were saying, Jesus heals the sick. Jesus raises the de- dead. Jesus has grace. Jesus is his blood, can save you and forgive you of your sins. Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's going around there and they're proclaiming who Jesus was. And all of a sudden it says, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. You know who called them Christians? The world. They said, you're exactly like the one you're proclaiming. You're Christ-like. When you walk into your neighborhood, when you walk into work, when you walk into your schools, do they look at you and say, you're just like the one that you're proclaiming? Does the world call us Christians or do we pronounce it and proclaim it ourselves? You know what I found out is if people would truly live it, Pastor, you don't ever have to do another outreach again. Because you know what outreach is? It's the church going out into the world to bless the world, not to get them back into church. That's not outreach. The outreach is to go take what we have and go bless those that do not have and say, listen, the reason we're doing this is not to fill our church or to fill a pew. It's to let you know that Jesus loves you as you are where you are. That's Matthew. Go into all the world. Didn't say the world's going to come into where you are. But you know what? If people start loving God and knowing God, you know, I found out they will be spiritual stalkers. People will see you and say, what in the world? And they'll stalk you all the way to church and they'll say, okay, I get it now. You'll never have to pass out a card and say, come. They're going to look at your life and your life's going to be an invitation to become just like you. See, after we pursue God personally, after we pursue God progressively, after we pursue God purposely, we have to pursue God passionately. See, salvation starts as a thought in our mind. It must be spoken out of our mouth. It believed in our heart and then demonstrated with our feet. Our spiritual life is the only life that will not mature over time. You don't become spiritually more mature just because you go to church longer. Because I can tell you this, I've seen teenagers that are passionate for God and have devoured the word of God. I have a young lady that's sitting in this group that took the word of God and took a challenge, read the entire Bible in 90 days. I mean, just devoured it. 
that are spiritually more mature than people that have been sitting in pews for tens of years. Passion, church. How would you feel if you were in a conversation with somebody that didn't really care what you had to say or what you thought? Their heart was not intrigued by you. You were nothing more than a waste of time and something that they had to do in order to meet an expectation of time. How many times do we treat God the same way in our prayer time? See, don't do your homework because it's your homework and you just want to do your homework because you're passionately in love with it. That you're in love with God's word. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For your heart, for with the one the, for the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confesses is made unto salvation. See, you will do what you're passionate about. You will do what you're passionate about. Pastor, you were at a soccer game yesterday, correct? You were passionate about soccer or your daughter? Sam, you had soccer games yesterday? Were you passionate about soccer or your kids? You know what I found out is I absolutely hate ballet. I hate recitals. I don't want to see another kid dress up as a butterfly because they can't fly. They usually fall. You know why I go? Because of my kids. You know what I can tell you is you can invoke God to do things in your life because of his, his passion for you because you're passionate for him. See, you will chase or pursue what you are passionate about. Matthew 11 verses 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent taketh it by force. And the last verse, or the last way we need to pursue God is purely. We need to pursue God purely for, what, for who he is, not what he can give us. Let me ask you a question. Do we draw near to God to find out who he is or to find out what he has for us? Because you know what I found out as I've traveled around the churches all across the world, it's not just in America, a lot of people draw near to God to pickpocket God. They're not interested in relationship with him. They're interested in him fixing their problems. Can I tell you that Judas worshiped God with a kiss on his cheek while stabbing him in the back? Let me, get, let me get you on, word, on the, the piano real quick. My, my children taught me a very valuable lesson about something, about worshiping God and pursuing God purely. I travel all the time for the last 10 years. When I first started, I had a five-year-old and a two-year-old little girl. And everywhere I went, because I was gone, I wanted to bring them a trinket of something saying I was thinking about them. It was my way of saying, even though I was gone, you were still with me. And so I'd buy them little pencils and those little glow things that always break in your luggage on the way traveling. But I would always buy them something. And when I first would, would go, come home, they'd be like, Daddy, we miss you so much. And I'd be, I brought you something. And then all of a sudden it became, Daddy, we missed you, but what did you bring us? Then it became, Daddy, what did you bring us? Oh, yeah, we're glad you're here. Until one day we were driving 
My bride picked me up. My two girls were in the back seat, and I was holding hands with my bride, and all of a sudden I heard, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw my favorite shirt flying out the window. And all of a sudden, pair of pants. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I looked back there, and there were my little girls going through my luggage, fighting over it in the very back of our expedition. They were screaming at each other. It's mine. It's mine if I find it first. And all of a sudden, I looked back there, and I said, what are you doing? And I pulled over, and they were like, Daddy, where is it? What did you bring us? I said, get out of the car. We're on this interstate. I'm in cars. I'm watching semi-trucks run over my clothes. And all of a sudden, my little girls are like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Now they're thinking punishment. I said, get out of the car. But Daddy, Daddy, we're sorry. Get out of the car. What are you going to do? I'm like, we're going to go pick up my clothes. We're walking around. We're walking off the side of the road. And we're walking. I'm watching all these clothes. And they're still fighting. But they're going, Daddy, we're sorry. We're, We're sorry, Daddy. Please don't be mad at us. Please don't spank us. And I put them off by the fence, and I went over there, and I grabbed my clothes. I said, now carry them back. They're ruined. Was it about the clothes? We get to the car, and all of a sudden, they said, Daddy, we're sorry. Please don't be mad at us. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. This time is different. I brought you something that is a better worth than I've ever brought you. And I said, I wasn't going to put it in a luggage. I says, because, and I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out these little gold lockets, hearts, and on the back of them said, Here is my heart. I am with you always. I said, today I was going to give you my heart, but I found out my little girls are too spoiled and they don't deserve my heart. So you don't get my heart. They're like, but daddy, daddy, please let me, daddy, please forgive us. It's not what it's about. My little girl was like, daddy, I've got, I've got show and tell. Please let me have it. And the cruel dad that I am, I got a book and I kicked it open and I leaned it against that book on their dresser so they had to look at my heart. Is that cruel? Days went on and they talked about those lockets every day. And then all of a sudden, one day I was walking upstairs to go put my daughters to bed and there was Cameron standing on her tippy toes looking at it and she saw me and she took off running and jumped into bed. I said, what are you doing? Were you looking at your locket? And she was like, no, daddy. She goes, but tomorrow's show and tell. Please, Daddy, you can have it back. I just want to show everybody else. Please let me have it tomorrow. I said, no. And all of a sudden, my daughter, Jaden, walked in. Her eyes were swollen shut from crying. She walks in and she hands me. She said, Daddy, you're right. I don't deserve your heart. But Daddy, I, I don't need a little piece of jewelry to represent your heart. Dad, you're with us always because you're here with me. And she says, you can take it back and get your money back. She says, because I'm not worth it. I said, baby girl, get down on your knees. She's like, why? And I said, just get down on your knees. I'm trying to rip that. And I threw that necklace out. All of a sudden, I went to put it on her and there comes Cameron. Daddy, 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 you can take mine back after tomorrow. And I stood there and I put my heart around their neck for the whole world to see. They got it. Not the Pharisee that says, thank God I'm not like him. But the one that says I'm not worth it, but thank you that you are. 
And you're better than anything I could ever be. I put my little girls to bed that night with their little hearts on their chest. And I crawled in my bedroom that day and I had my Bible and I said, God, if I never preach again from a platform, my heart is still yours. Ministry is not what I do, it's who I am in God. My heart is yours today. And it felt like God reached down and he wrapped his arms around my neck. That's who my God is. That's why I travel all over the world to tell people about him. Why? Because he can take a fool like me that the world threw away and trashed. And he can make it some, of something of worth. All over this place, stand up with me.